Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we welcome Principal Wayman, who is a former principal in Philadelphia Public Schools, as well as an assistant superintendent over 50 plus high schools. This conversation was, I mean, I, I'm just coming off of it doing the intro. It, it was it was awesome. She is someone who is so dynamic. When I, when I watched her TED Talk, by the way, her TED Talks had over 2 million views. So I think everyone should check that out. Um, she's been on, she had Diane Sawyer and Nightline follow her school around for two years and it was inner city Philadelphia. So you can look into who she is before you start this podcast if you want. I just want to tell you one, one way to think about it uh, is one of the quotes she loves to say is if you're going to lead, lead. So if you're the leader and you're going to lead, lead. Don't just step aside and delegate everything. Lead. Lead with your the way you walk, the way you love and serve others. We dive in. I, I thought we would be talking. We talk about school turnaround. She, she led one of the schools that had was the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous schools in Philadelphia, lowest performing schools in Philadelphia. I really thought the conversation was going to be intense. And it was about getting results for kids and having high expectations. And all of that's true. But she talks about a common thread, which is love, knowing every kid and loving every kid, knowing every adult and loving every adult. And then the power of having fun. She talks about having field days at school in the midst of, you know, leading a failing school that is, you know, most of the kids are a few grade levels behind. There's all this pressure on state testing. She has the courage to say, no, we need a field day. School needs to be fun. And if we make it fun, then we'll get that time back up in spades later. And so it was just really awesome to hear her take on how to help get great performance out of schools and the kids and the adults with love and fun and high expectations and clear systems and planning. We also talk about a tool that she likes to use in her schools, which are town halls and how she likes to use them and how they really went a long way to helping their school improve and increase student voice, which I love to hear about. And we dive into, for those of you, uh, I live in, for those of you who don't know, I live in St. Louis and near me, uh, one of the schools I used to work with, uh, was a school shooting the other day. And we talk about how, what, what advice she have for people going through that kind of trauma. And uh, just recently there was an article in the Washington Post talking about four fifths of the teachers in Washington, DC are unhappy. And I know that's not just in DC, that's a lot of places. So how would she suggest tackling it? And so this conversation is super informative. It's really interesting and it's inspiring. And so I, I hope you walk away with the same kind of positive vibe that I have coming from this because Principal Wayman is definitely one of a kind. And I can say that a lot of times with these great guests that we have, but you'll see why in a second. It was just really cool to see all the dimensions she has. And what's funny is when we got off, she said she was a little nervous about the podcast, but there's no way you would ever feel that because this woman is on point with uh, speaking her heart in a sincere, direct way that makes me want to follow her. And I think it's going to make every one of you want to follow her. And so as always, thanks for listening. This is a great conversation. I appreciate your support. If you're a subscriber, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe as you're listening. As always, if there is a segment, if there is a, some sort of inspirational quote or story that Principal Wayman talk, talks about, please forward along to the person you think needs it in their life because that's the whole goal of this is change starts here with each of us and so as we think about those around us that we want to help support and love if there's something that you hear that you think would help inspire them please send it to them principal wayman has blown me away today as you can tell i'm excited to know her and excited to have met her and had this great conversation so i hope you enjoyed as much as me principal wayman thank you so much for making time uh, to be here with us today oh i'm glad to be here thank you for the invitation <laughs> Yeah. So uh, as you know, the first question is the same for everybody. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? Wow. My name is Linda Clyde Wayman is who I am. Um, and what I love about what I do is I facilitate making kids dreams come true. And that's why I love what I do. Hmm. Have you always looked at your life as that? Has that always been a dream of yours to make kids' dreams come true? Or did something happen uh, along your life to send you down that path? That sort of developed. Um, and it actually came from a student. Mm. And I had a student once 
who actually said this to me. I don't hope, I don't dream, because I know nothing's gonna change about this school or this neighborhood. And ever since I heard that, I have taken my, I have decided to make sure that I focus on making kids' dreams come true. That every child has a dream and every child should dream. And so that became my my vision going forward. Wow. Well, many of our audience may not know your story. I, I know it. And I know there's 2 million people, which is nuts. We'll get to that, who have watched your TED Talk, as well as I'm sure many of those folks have actually read your book, which is amazing. And so I, I just want to ask, uh, give folks an idea of where you came from and what brought you into becoming an educator. Oh, thank you. Well, I was born and raised in North Philadelphia. My father went to the fifth grade. And my mother was the first person in her family to grow up in high school. And so my mother always told us that everybody in our family is poor. And the one thing that no one in our family had is a, high, is a college degree. Go get one of those. She didn't know what it was. She didn't know how to go get it. She just said, go get one of those. Because I think that if you get one of those, then you will be better off in life. And so in high school, it all started, this journey of mine started in high school. When I was younger, when I went to grades K through eight, my mother put us in a desegregation program Mm -hmm. and she bust us outside of our community to go to school. The best education that I could possibly have dreamed of. But when I got in high school, I wanted to go to school with my friends. Of course you did. And my mother was like, no, 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 no. Stay where you are. You're getting a great education. I said, but mom, I want to go to school with my friends. I'm tired of riding on a bus two hours to school. I want to go to school with my friends. Well, when I went to school, my mother, she gave in. She let me go to the neighborhood school with my friends. And I remember walking in the building saying to myself, wow, this is so different than what I'm used to. Mm. And then... I went into English class for the very first time. And the teacher was new to the school. And he passed out a play that he wanted us to read. It was actually Macbeth. I'll never forget it. And he asked us all to take a role. And so no one would raise their hand and volunteer. So he passed out all the roles of of the play. And so when we started reading the play, none of the students could read. Only myself and one other student who was sent there from a Catholic school. And I sat there shocked and the teacher was shocked. And I remember running home and saying, mom, something's wrong. Something's wrong, mom. They're in the ninth grade and they can't read. Mm. And so it was stalling. So what I tell people is that I went to college on an eighth grade education because I learned nothing new in high school. And so it became my mission when I got to college to say to myself, I'm going to become a teacher because I want no one else to go to college the way I did. I was so unprepared for college mm. and I wanted, didn't want that for anyone else. And so I decided to become a teacher. Wow, that's amazing. And so I, I believe, did you spend uh, your entire uh, teaching career as a special education teacher? Is that right? And for 20 years in the classroom. Wow. So an education teacher, yes. So what, what took you down that path, right? I taught math, you know, my wife taught reading, uh, you know, it's a calling, I believe for some of the best special education teachers. What took you down that path? And do you think, how do you think that's played a role in your leadership? Well, I think challenging children was always something that interests me. Kids with social and emotional problems. So I spent 20 years in the classroom working with kids who had social and emotional problems. It was just something that interests me. I always was able to connect with kids who had behavioral challenges and emotional problems. And so I thought it was a great fitting for me to do that. And so that's what took me on that path to work with special needs students. That particular categorization of, of, of special needs students, they all have social and emotional problems. And so I don't really know how I landed there. It was just always my gift. I was always able to handle challenging children or children that seem to have trauma, was in trauma. And so that's why I chose it. Well, it is a gift. So you become a principal and I'm curious, 
what, how, how did that 20 years or whatever in special education teaching prepare you to be the best principal you could be? Wow, because I would immerse myself in instruction. I knew a lot about school climate. Mm-hmm. I knew how to motivate people. Um, I knew how to work with challenging students. I knew how to, by that time, I was a new teacher coach before I became a principal. So I knew how to train teachers. And, and you have to remember, I wanna, let me say this to you. I never wanted to leave the classroom. I never applied for a principal job. Someone approached me to be a principal. I had no desire to ever leave the classroom. It was not nothing I ever, I had a principal certification, but I never planned on using it. I just did it because I like leadership. And so someone came to me and said, look, Ms. Wayman, these new teachers in this building are saying they're going to quit if you don't become their new principal because the principal of the school never came back to work after the summertime. And so the new teachers I was working with had threatened to quit if I didn't become the principal. And so that's, that's history. And I became a principal. That is crazy. So uh, again, I can't imagine when you have two plus million, it almost be 2.5 million now, maybe uh, viewers of your Ted talk who don't know this story, but I would love just the brief rendition of you stepping into this principal role, because I find it so powerful for people. The way you tell the story puts all of us in that auditorium or puts all of us in that first day of school with you. So I'm just curious, can you share a little bit about that? Sure. It's the first day of school. I never, again, I was a new principal. I had no idea. Now, mind you, I was a new teacher coach in the building. So I knew about the structure of the building. And so my first day at work, a huge fight broke out. My very first day at work. And I mean, when I say a bad fight broke out, I mean a huge fight. And so I said, oh, my goodness. I ran out of my office and I grabbed a young person's arm. And she said, get off of me. But she didn't say it like that, right? (laughs) And I said to myself, oh, they don't know who I am. Because it was the first day of school. And so I brought everyone into the auditorium. First, it was hard getting everyone to sit down. My teachers were telling me over and over again, Ms. Wayman, you don't want to put those kids in the auditorium. Ms. Wayman, that's not going to go good. I said, get everyone in the auditorium. So after maybe 45 minutes of getting everyone to sit down, I had a young girl raise her hand because I was talking about the changes I was going to make in the school and all the things that I was going to do different in the school. And the young girl says to me, Miss, Miss, why do you keep calling this a school? This is not a school. And I stood there frozen in time. And I asked the teacher to my right, teacher to my left. I said, did you hear that? And they said, what? What did you hear? I said, she said this wasn't a school. I said, we have to make this a school. And that's how I allow a student voice to create the vision going forward to make that school a school. That's amazing. So when you, when you hear this is not a school, right? Where do you start? Because I know in your heart, you felt that in your bones. And so you're thinking, she's right. This isn't a school. What are the keys? And you don't have to say what you did next, but like, what are the keys if anybody else is in that situation right now to get this turned around? So it feels like a school and is a school your kids are proud of. What well, the first thing is making sure the school environment is the very best you could make it. Mm. I mean, right, we changed every bulletin board. We painted all the classrooms. We figured out traffic patterns in the school. We did, we changed the roster. We, um, wow, we, the biggest thing that we had to do was to get the young people to believe they could even learn. So a lot of them didn't even believe they could learn. They didn't believe in their teachers. So we had to start a whole new instructional program. We had to come up with some rules and consequences. And we had to have found a lot of ways for the young people to have fun. So though that's where we started. And then to do that, we eventually, right from the start, we created something called town hall meetings, right? And what we wanted, the reason why we needed town hall meetings, because the first meeting was so powerful with the young girl saying, this is not a school, that we knew town hall meetings were where we would get 
our roadmap for making it a school. Yep. So one of the things that you talk about is how you wanted to be present in the school, how you wanted to make sure that you knew the kids, that you understood what their stories were, that they knew you. How were you able to do that when there's so much of the principal's job that is, you got to go to the district office, you got to meet with a community member, you've got all the stuff that's reactive, a teacher's upset. How are you able to make sure you can handle the reactive part that is a reality of a principal's job with the proactive part of, I'm going to get out here, I'm going to make sure I am known and that I know people? It was a plan. It was the way I planned my day. I organized everything from the time I would meet with parents, time I would be at the district office, and then the other time I was out there with my students. I went to lunch every single day that everyone knew, do not look for Miss Wayman during the lunch period because that's where she would be. And that's where I got to know a lot of the students, their challenges, the things they liked, the things they loved. I spent every moment in the lunchroom and every moment in my classroom, observing my teacher's interaction with my students. So it really started a day. I just planned every minute of the day out. I looked at my schedule. I said, I have to be at the district office this time. I will have to do this, this particular time. But every single day was a block of time just to interact with students. I made that a priority and I did it every single day. How would you make sure the teachers would do that? Because one of the things that I have found over time working with high schools, and you have way more experience than I do, is I've seen a trend of teachers who are focused on their subject and really passionate about their subject and expect their kids to be there and sometimes skip over that relational piece that you talked about is so important. How were you able to make sure that, was it hiring the right people? And how were you able to make sure that you were able on a day-to-day basis, your teachers were modeling the same expectations with building relationships with kids in their classrooms? Well, it was something that was, that we planned on. I mean, we did a lot of relationship building and professional development, right? Again, the teachers really appreciated my modeling for them, my interaction with students. So it was, it became infectious. So the student, the teacher started to see, oh, if you build a relationship with them, they'll perform better in the classroom because they're performing better in the school. And so we professionally develop it to teach around interaction with students on a regular basis all the time. We, again, those town hall meetings, bringing everybody together as a school family. We always talked about a school family and we always talked about one beat, one sound. Mm-hmm. In order for us to be one beat, one sound, we would have to all be on the same page around the core values that we we're trying to promote to the young people around the instructional program. So we all try to work hand in hand with one another and we modeled that it worked. And our teachers started to believe it when they saw the change in behavior in the students. But it was, they were not really sold at the beginning. Because yep. a lot of my teachers were f- really fearful of the, of the students. Yep. And so I had to give them a reason not to be fearful. Yeah. How do you break that? Because to your point, I, when I was teaching in a similar school to what you're describing, I always found, you know, students for the most part, they'll, they'll always be one or two that'll push the envelope. But if you show them love and respect, they return it for the most part. I've not, I've not seen, I, mean, I can bet almost anytime you walk in, you treat someone with love and respect. Like you say, you love them. Once they feel that and believe that they'll do anything. I don't understand the fear part. You read a lot about it in newspapers of, all these kids and it's so tough. What's the real story? Because I I just, I don't understand where the the fear comes from. The real story is that the children are traumatized and they're standoffish and they come across as very, very angry. And a lot of them are angry. So they choose not to interact with teachers, right? Because they may have had a bad experience with school. So they take that bad experience all to every classroom they go into. But if you as the teacher make it priority, I would always tell my teachers, just say good morning. Just say good morning. And just by you saying good morning, it would de-escalate their anger. And so when they started doing that, they saw that I was actually, it actually worked. So teenagers today, 
have a lot on them. They've been through a lot, a lot of things that we may have never been through. They have social media to contend with, all of these challenges. So the only thing we could do is to show them that we care about every child in the school, no matter what type of behavior they display, because it is only a facade. It is not the real student. And by having interaction with that student, you begin to know the student for who they are. And if you have high expectations for every student, every student has always risen to the challenge. But you have to have it, and they have to know that you have it. Mm. That's the way they'll do better. That's so true. So what, I live in St. Louis, as we kind of talked about before we got on here, and one of the old the schools that I used to work with that's real close to where I live just had a school shooting there. And today, in my wife's chief of staff of her inner city school district that's right down the street from where the school is, and they had to close, they closed their schools today so they could regroup with their teachers. And you know, obviously the school that uh, had the shooting is closed as well. What's your advice to the principal or the district leaders who are trying to help create a safe space for return for them to come back and really, um, you know, put one foot in front of the other and start rebuilding their culture there? Well, my first what I, I know I would have done first after something like that, because we, even though we didn't have a school shooting in the school, we had a lot of violent incidences. And so once that always happened, I always brought everybody in the school family together. We didn't have these silo conversations. Everybody came together in the auditorium and we all talked about our fears and we all talked about why we had to change the culture of the school to keep everyone safe. Safety was our number one concern. But the way to do that was really to engage everybody in the school family at the same time. And really, the students, the student voice is what you really have to pay close attention to because they tell you how to change the culture, but they tell you without directly telling you. Mm-hmm. You have to listen for what they're not saying. So I know that would be the first thing, and I would reassure them that everything was going to be all right. This bad thing happened, and we have to make sure it never happens again. And so in order for that to happen, some things are going to have to change around here, and we'll talk about what the change would have to be. We would talk about why we think something like that happened. We would get it all out in the open, and then as a leadership team, we would go back and address every issue. And once we addressed all the concerns of the staff, we reconvene in a town hall meeting again and go over all the things that we found out. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep the communication open. You have to keep that open because kids start making things up and teachers start making things up. And so if you bring everybody together and tell everybody at the same time, believe me, it will ease everyone's fears immediately. Okay, I believe in this staff. I believe in these teachers. I believe they can keep us safe. I'm safe. I believe that now that we created a culture where kids can come to us when they are having a problem. These kids are having a lot of problems and they are afraid to speak to teachers in the school or or staff in the school. We have to create a culture where every child has a caring adult. So that way these things could possibly not happen. When you talk about, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the town hall, because I think once you have a culture established, the town halls, it probably becomes easy is not the word, but just it's how we do life. It's how we do family. Exactly. Early on, when you're trying to establish that, how do you make sure it stays on the rails, right? Because they're kids and they could ask crazy questions or just try to get on a mic to be funny. So how do you do your best to combat that and keep it on the rails? Oh, that is a very good question. Because that's exactly what they do. When we go into town hall, we always had a structure, right? So if you're going to create town hall meetings, it has to be a structure, meaning some kind of opening. You play a song. You have a quote. Anything that would energize the crowd, get everybody into what's going on, right? Then you ask the students for their voices. Now, a lot of principals I know are afraid to try town hall meetings for the very reason you just said. Because the kids get up there, they say things that are unkind. For example, I remember our first town hall meeting, 
One of the students, we asked a very specific question. I can't remember what it is right now, but a very specific question. Kid grabbed the mic. The first thing he said to me was, why well, don't like that outfit you have on? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said to me. So my students would tell me every now and then. <laughs> right. And so, small, Mr. O. <laughs> right. So what you have to do as an administrator is not let that shake you. Mm. And so what I said to the young person was, well, I like my outfit. I like my outfit. And I didn't, you know, I like my outfit. Do you like your outfit? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, I like my outfit. I appreciate your opinion. And maybe next time I won't wear these two things together. <laughs> but today, this is what I have on. And so once you, they don't get a reaction out of you, yep. they understand, okay, this is, this, is a different kind of, this is a different kind of meeting. Because they look to, at first to derail the meeting. Yep. But if you stay the course and you have an agenda and you have a structure to your meeting, you have a goal, you have an ending, they work out great over time. They're never perfect at the beginning. Of course. But you have to stay the course. So is the structure, let's say you get feedback at one town hall, is the structure the next town hall, you show them what you've accomplished or do you try to give them more regular updates on what's happening from the feedback so you can build that trust? Oh, great question. No, whatever came out, whatever suggestions, whatever the students wanted us to work on, whatever feedback they gave us, we always address those things every single day in the daily announcements. <laughs> we let them know every day where we were. We let them know the things that we could take into consideration yep. and things we could not do. And we always would tell them why. It was always, it was never because I said so. It was always a reason for what we would do in the school. That was so key with students, right? I mean, the students just want to know why. And I said so doesn't feel, especially for high school kids, doesn't feel very empowering and trust building to them, right? Right. No, it, it, that's the biggest way today to turn off high school students is to say, because I said so. Yep. If they ask you a question, answer the question to the best of your ability. If you don't have the answer, you say, I have to research the answer and I will get back to you tomorrow. Now, and if you say to them, you're going to get back to them, then you have to get back to them. Yep. You have to make that priority. Even if you have to write it down in a notebook that I have to get back to so-and-so because that's especially the way you build trust with your challenging students in your school. Totally. Because you remember in a school of maybe 500 students, you really only have 25 really challenging ones but they affect everyone else. Yep. Because everyone else is either afraid of them, they're being bullied by them, and so they're watching your interaction with them first. And so you always have to build a relationship with those students. And you know, every school leader know who they are. So what I'm saying to the school leaders, they cannot be ignored. Yep. They have to be addressed in a very positive, calm way, letting them know that their voice counts and they are leaders, they are leaders. And we're trying to make them be leaders in a very positive manner. How do you respond to the teachers who I'm sure you've had tell you this before of, I'm the adult, I'm the authority. I don't need to explain why in every decision. Oh, I hear that all the time. <laughs> and I, all the time they would say, well, Ms. Wayman, why do we have to give them a why? We're the teachers. We don't owe them no explanation. Right. But I would always say, but I always gave my own children an explanation. It's the, way, it's the way I raise my own children. I would never, if my child asked me a question, say to my own child, no, I'm not going to give you an answer. I just wouldn't do that. And so once I would tell the teachers things like that, well, if your child asked you the question, would you answer your child? And the teacher would go, oh, okay. And so they would think about that for a moment. And then they would say, again, everything comes out of how the child reacts. And so once the child reacts in a positive manner, then they understand why answering the question is important. Because I'm going to tell you, once you say to a high school student, you're going to do it because I say so, they're not going to do it. Right. And then the, the tension in the classroom becomes even greater. And no teacher wants that. I agree. So speaking of teachers, there was a Washington Post uh, report that just came out from you know their local union that says four-fifths of the teachers are unhappy. Mm 
Mm. And that's, that's happened. You know, it used to be, that would be like an urban challenge, but I feel like that's in every suburban district right now. It feels like that just the overwhelming unhappiness, which might be the right word, but it's one that even the Washington Post is using. What can we do as education leaders, principals, assistant soups, soups to start combating that challenge? Well, the same thing I would always tell my teachers, you go to school to learn. We have to have a great climate and you have to have some fun. You have to have fun. School is supposed to be fun. So if they're feeling defeated, right? You have to have fun. So we would do all types of crazy things. You know, dress up in our college sweats. We would do cheer, you know, um, like a town hall meeting. We would come in at, during Halloween dressed in costumes or we, anything that you think that would add, we would have dances out of, out of nowhere. Anything that you think that would add some fun to school is what we have to embed back in school. The teachers are so overwhelmed with state standards and testing yep. and catching them up from COVID that they're not taking the opportunity to say, let's just embed some fun in here, guys, so we can make this whole thing, this whole experiment, this whole educational facility come to life. And I believe that's why they're so defeated because they're just not having fun. They're not focused on the fun. So were you, that, that's given the schools that you led mm -hmm. and the dire circumstances that they were in when you started to lead them, mm -hmm. it shocks me, but also inspires the heck out of me that you're adding fun to the mix, right? Because it's so easy to walk in and say, our school's rated the most dangerous. We have the right. lowest test scores. We got to get to work. And you did, right? Because there's nobody who can read anything that you've written or listen to any of your talks that doesn't, like you don't play, you're about that work. But that fun component is so refreshing to hear. Has that always been the expectation or is that something that's grown over the years? Always been the expectation. But in this most dangerous school, it was even more of an expectation. Wow. Now, let, me give you, let, me give, let me give you an example. I, re I remember when I told the community and the school staff that we were going to have a field day outside. I'll never forget it. We're going, a lot of high schools have field day. We're going to have field day. We go out and activities, you dance, you have fun. We're going to have a field day. Well, the, everybody erupted. The staff is like, oh, Ms. Wayman, we can't take these kids outside. Are you kidding? You know, and the police chief even called me. Said, oh, Ms. Wayman, no, 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 please, 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 please. But I'm going to tell you, when I, we got all the students to the park that had this field day, I wish you could have seen their faces, the community faces, and how they came back the next day. All they talked about was the fun and everybody was focused in the classrooms. Everybody couldn't believe it was successful. And that led to productive learning for weeks to come. So you have to have these things to inspire the kids and these kids needed to be inspired. So it was an inspiring mechanism to keep them moving forward. Cause you gotta remember, these kids didn't believe. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe in school. They didn't believe in dreams. They didn't believe in happiness. They didn't believe they could have fun and they didn't believe they could learn. So we had to combine all that together to say, we have to do all these things, but we're going to do it having some fun. Yeah, but I love this. I just, I'm thinking about the times that you were going through all these things. Yeah. Uh, you know, the accountability was creeping up higher and higher and more intense, especially in Philadelphia, right? And so, you go out, have a field day. I can only imagine the number of people in the district office or maybe even your own building that said, we are losing X amount of minutes of instructional time right now. How can you do this? How unprofessional? How, I mean, you had to have heard that, correct? I did hear that. I heard all of that. You know, that Wayman, no, I'm here in my curriculum. I got to get through this. They say I have to be on this timetable time by this point. I said, guys, we are going to get there and we're going to get there faster by making sure that these kids have fun and making sure they're inspired. I guarantee they can say, Ms. Wayman, no, please, Ms. Wayman, no, please. I have to stay on course. I said, I tell you, you're going to, you're going to get ahead of yourself if you make these kids happy. And that's exactly what happened. So you do, I understand, believe me, nobody understands test scores more than me. Right. No one understands violence in schools more than me. But what I do know is that these children, all children, deserve to have fun embedded in their school learning. They all do. 
And so we have to take the opportunities when we can to do that, because when you do that, you propel the learning. I That's what we all have to understand. I love this. Uh, so can I ask, when when did Diane Sawyer and Nightline step into your life? Uh, oh. w- what stage was this and how how surreal of a request or interaction was this? Well, I'm going to tell you. I, I don't know. I don't have long to tell the story. But they were, they were in Philadelphia doing a story on persistently dangerous schools. The school that I was leading, Strawberry Mansion, was never supposed to be one of the schools considered. Because they really wanted a diverse school. So they went to all the other schools and the schools really didn't feel comfortable doing the teachers really did not feel comfortable being filmed at the other schools. Right. right? And so they came to me and said, Ms. Wayman, do you mind us coming to Strawberry Mansion? So they came to Strawberry Mansion and something was going on there. And one of the photographers said, do you mind if I follow you? I said, no, of course not. Come on. And so she followed me. And so in the meantime, I think they were sending all these tapes back to Diane Sawyer, trying to select the right school. And so I think with the story that I heard that Diane Sawyer said, that's the school right there. That's school. So they came into the school for two years. They followed. Were there two years? No, I was there five years. But no, no, they school. were there two years. Two years, two school wow. years. They were there. Followed our progress for two school years, and and let me t- it, it again. My teachers did not mind the filming. They wanted the world to see what we were dealing with. We also wanted to show the world that nothing was impossible. That the kids could learn. That the kids in inner cities could behave. Crime could could be lowered. Fun could happen in school. They could look at their school. We wanted to show that to the world. And on top of what happened out of all of it was the the empathy that we received, right? All of, because we were really afraid of what they would show because we never got a chance to see it until it was created. So we were really afraid, like, oh God, please, don't let us show the kids, you know, not doing some things right. We were really, really concerned. But everyone really got the basis of the story that we were trying to educate a population of children that were long forgotten and they need assistance and they needed some help. So the outpouring of love that came from that Diane Sawyer special, they gave money for the kids to go to college, for those application fees, kids got in different you know, schools. A lot came from that special. And we are forever grateful to Diane Sawyer and that team. That's awesome. So when you think about the, was it 62 high schools that you led or 52 high schools? Either way, it's a massive number. Massive number. It was 61. I'm sorry. It was 61 high schools, non-closures. So my second year, I had 52. I went from 61 to 52 because of the closures. So when you think about trying to lead a system like that, knowing what you know about what what it takes at a school level to be successful, Mm -hmm. what are the keys when you're in that position to making sure that you have the best success in all of those schools. How did you think about your job from that perspective where you couldn't have the same kind of town halls at each school for yourself? How did you, how, how were you able to lead change at that level? I really tried very hard to empower my principals to tell them, like I said in the TED talk, if you're going to lead, lead mm-hmm. so many of the principals sat in the chair in a passive type of way. They have huge teams to help them, right? So a lot of the things that I thought the principals should be heading up were delegated to other people. And so I got, I, I tried to get the, the principals to understand that you will get the best out of your school staff, you will get the best out of your students if you engage more with both. So that became my focus. My focus became, Principals, lead your school, lead it so that you're visible, lead it so that you're focused on instruction, lead it so that climate became important and let it that all activities are important for after school activities were important for kids. So I just tried to refocus the principles that you are not just here for operational purposes. You're also here to help motivate, lead, inspire and develop everyone in this building. Did I read correctly that you brought football to one of your schools or brought it back or something? Because I, I asked because there's a movement in a lot of schools that were similar to the demographics that you have. Let's get rid of those programs and let's focus more on academics. And so again, you're bringing fun back and you brought football back. Is that right? 
Well, I didn't bring football back. I started football. Oh, jeez. Strawberry Mansion was built in 1961. Okay. It was a neighborhood school with no football team. Okay. Every child that wanted to play football was bust outside of the neighborhood, had to go miles and miles away to school. And one kid told me one day, and it was, it was on, that's how I started to build community. A kid said to me one day, Miss Women, we want a football team. That was like my second day of school. I said, a football <laughs> team? I said, you don't have a football team? Because I really wasn't aware that they didn't have their own team. They were sharing with another school. Yep. And I remember, again, the kids were in chaos. And I picked up the microphone and I said, we're going to get a football team. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I said that. Your boss is like, I heard you said I, we're getting a football team. Oh, I know. And when it, once it came out of my mouth, I couldn't back, put it back in. Right. <laughs> and so every day, every week, it was, guys, okay, I called the district. The district said if we get a 1,000 signatures, we can get a football team. And so it was step after step after step after step. And finally, we got a football team. And not only did we get a football team, we became division champions in 2017. No we chance. Never having a team. No chance. We did. That's amazing. And so that brought the entire community together. So all the violence that was in the neighborhood no longer happened. So if anyone is thinking that they need to get do away with these activities in our most vulnerable communities, it is a huge mistake. It mm. is a huge mistake. We have to find a way. We can't keep taking the things that the kids really enjoy out of school. Yep. We can't keep doing that because it become a less and less reason for them want to be there. So true. This is so inspiring. Before we get to the last few questions, mm -hmm. I, I just I want you to talk briefly a little bit about your nonprofit um, currently trending, right? And just tell us what you're doing with that. Okay. Well, um, five years ago, you know, I decided it was time to move on and um, I started a consulting business, Principal Wayman Consulting, but I realized I had I had to be around children. It, it, it was something that I had to do. It was just, it's like in my DNA or something. And so I started an organization long before the pandemic started uh, called Currently Trending Extended High School Education Program. And I started it before the pandemic because I saw that a lot of learning experiences students were not getting in schools. Yep. Like, like you said, they were not able to get around to it because they were so focused on testing, test scores. So a lot of life skills were going by the wayside because the teachers didn't have time to teach it. And so I said, let me start an organization where we focus on getting kids learning experiences that have to do with everyday life in combination with their academics. Because a lot of kids get out of high school, they know how to do school, but they don't know how to do life. So true. Right. And so we started an organization again uh, five years ago. So uh, I'm the founder of the organization. Of course, I, I'm an executive director of the organization and I still run it. We start off with a, um, a high school retreat before the kids even enter high school. We get we go to the eighth grade, um, the K-8 schools and recruit kids before they enter high school. We take them through a week long summer retreat to get them acclimated to the leadership skills that we want to pour into them before they go into the high school. Yep. We talk about the whole entire high school experience so they're not in shock because our graduation rate in Philadelphia is very low. And so we wanted to make sure they stayed in school. Um, and now we meet with them one Saturday a month on college campuses, Villanova University, St. Joseph University, and give them all type of learning experiences to keep them engaged in school and learning and preparing them for life. That's awesome. Well, uh, before we leave, I will make sure I point people to your consulting services because I think anybody after this is going to want to read your book. They're definitely going to stop and hit pause and go watch your TED talk, but then dive into this great work that you're also doing in the community because it's really inspiring to, as people get to know you, they want to be a part of that. I'm assuming that you're, you probably spent the last 20 years feeling that from folks, right? Yes, I have. It's <laughs> The, I, I will honor our time here. I know we've got just a few minutes left. So the last four questions that we ask everybody are all the same. Okay. First question is, what habit or discipline do you use on a daily basis to help you become the best version of yourself? I'm a planner. I wake, before I go to bed each night, I look at my next day totally and I map everything out. Mm. I don't leave too much to chance. 
So I pretty much know the things that I have to do and the things I have to do and things I might do. So I'm, I'm a planner. Um, and I think that's the, the and people, and I'm, so I'm never late for anything. I'm always on time. I'm always trying to be prepared because I plan. And I think planning is important. It's one skill that I'm also trying to teach my young people in my organization, in my nonprofit, that you have to plan to be successful. So I'm a planner. That's great. Uh, what's a book that you've either read recently or throughout, and you don't have to be one book. It could be a couple books that you think has been so influential to you that you think other people need to read it and check it out. Now I'm going to tell you, um, so I'm, a, I'm trying to remember two books. One was Ride of a Lifetime. Okay. I'm saying it right by the person um, who led Disney. I can't think of his name right now. It was called Ride of a Lifetime. Um, by the CEO of Disney, Robert Iger. I think. By the way, by the way, we we've had so many guests. Yes. And I think two or three of the last podcast guests have said this book. So people are not picking it up. Uh, and you guys have no connection with each other. It's just this. But that is a great leadership book. Okay. And the other one is an an, a book that set my instructional program on on target, and that was Results Now. By I think his name is Smoker, Mike Smoker, mm. and it's called Results Now. And the reason why this book was so important to how I was able to move schools academically is because he did all this research on how students should be instructed in the classroom. Mm. And he said he went around the world and tested it out. And most teachers were not using this instructional way of teaching, this instructional model. And so I remember bringing it to my leadership team and I said, listen, he did all the research already. Let's just test it out. Let's see if he's right. And we started using this way of instructing students, the delivery of instructional model, and our scores started to soar. So I recommend results now by my smoker. That's great. So uh, next question is one that you can go any which way you want, but generally we ask, you know, what's on your playlist? If you're driving, running, whatever, we've, we've had answers from, Sports talk radio to Coldplay to Miley Cyrus to who knows. And so feel free to go anywhere between or take us a whole new direction. Well, what's on my playlist as every day is gospel music. I love Whitney Houston, you know, um, got in any any gospel music, Rita Franklin, every day that I wake up, I have on gospel music. So, you know, my kids even say, Mom, do you listen to church music every day? And I say, well, no, it's not really church music. It's music that inspires me. So again, anything by Whitney Houston, anything by Aretha Franklin, many, any gospel artist is, is something that I listen to every day. So it sets the tone for your day. It Just, sets the tone for my day and throughout my day. You know, yep. when, you know, when I have challenges, I'm in my car, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put on, you know, um, Smile by Kurt Franklin, you know, Make Me Happy. You know, anything that will keep me moving forward. I, I'm a person who like think people to inspire me yep. and music inspire me, especially gospel music. I love it. All right. Last question. What leadership advice is either on your heart or you've come across recently that you want to share with others and feel like others need to hear right now in this moment? Wow. I'm sorry. I don't mean to pause, but pause what, by all means. I'm sorry. What leadership advice what leadership advice have you come across or has been on your heart? It could be now, or it's been on your heart for your entire career that people just need to feel and hear. What I, leadership advice that I want everybody to know is that everyone brings their true self to a situation. Kids, teachers, life happens to everyone. And so if you're going to be a dynamic leader, a successful leader, you have to have empathy for all people in all, every situation. So that always was the reason why I thought love, love for everyone in the organization is something that I had to feel, something I had to just, just to give up every day, the possibility, the hope, the drive. So I want to say that you just have to believe mm. and you have to hope. And you have to love all of the people that you are leading. And I think when that happens and when you put yourself in their shoes along your journey, everyone will work to their full potential and kids will become their best selves. Mm -hmm. Well, as I keep saying, this will be the third and final time I say it in this podcast, which is, 
people need to stop, go watch your TED Talk. They need to pick up your book and they need to dive into the ways that you can help schools. Can you talk a little bit about how you partner with schools or school districts to support them, whether it's training or keynotes or something along those lines? Well, I partner with a lot of schools on keynotes. A lot of people call me, they come and inspire their staff when they're stuck and they need some inspiration. I partner, I coach principals, I coach teachers, and I offer professional development and leadership professional development to schools also. And how, you've said it earlier, but how can people go find you or what's the easiest way to follow you? Okay, the easy way to find me, is, first of all, you can follow me on Principal Wayman on Instagram, um, um, www.principalwayman.com is my website. Also, um, my nonprofit website is www.currently-trending.org. And that's how you can me. And Amazon, you can find my book, Please yes. Fearlessly Love Hard. I was about to say that too before you before you said it, but I uh, figured I'd let you do it because it sounds better from you. I'll tell you, I I you know, I, I feel every day I wake up, I feel blessed, and I'm always excited to talk to new people, and I've always been kind of this way. Um, and so when I get someone you know like you on the podcast, I do all my research, and I'm excited. This by far and away exceeded my expectations. The way you just are, like the spirit that you have, that you just show of like determination, straightforwardness, but also love and fun, uh, is just awesome. It's infectious, and you have made my day. And I hope I am confident you made the day of many others. But thank you for being you. Thank you for being courageous. And please keep up this work because we've, we're honored here to have you, and we're honored here to be a part of this work with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. If I can help someone along their journey to help save some child's life, then I'll do it. So thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, and Prince Wayman, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.